This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Pretty bad. The Raptors lose 127 to 107. Somewhat of a hapless performance to the Los Angeles Clippers, who are the hottest team in the NBA over like the last 24 or 25 games, with superstars James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George in tow, and like pretty healthy performances from the rest of the roster, especially Russell Westbrook to start. The Raptors just kind of got shellacked. The offense continues to flounder um post pascal i know they had the big game against the heat obviously they shot the hell out of the ball but they've had a a lot of trouble getting paint touches regularly they're getting kind of locked out above the break running a lot of their actions kind of um side to side horizontally across the court rather than getting you know that vertical north south east west is probably a better way to describe that it's been tough uh, Scotty Barnes comes on late, I think, using the sideline to his advantage, his strength and finishing, obviously, as he does many times, um, getting some isolation on there, using the sideline as kind of like a barrier for himself, bashing guys under the rim, uh, but a pretty quiet game for him overall. And it took him a long, long time to figure out how the Clippers were playing him, especially from above the break, the gapping he was seeing, a lot of the attention he was getting and, you know, was very, very quiet to start, maybe like 10 of his first, like, I don't know, 21 shots, you know, only one or two of those were inside the paint. It's, uh, the Clippers are good defensively. They're able to make teams, you know, go outside of the paint and they're typically able to create a lot of misses, you know, in other parts of the floor. So kind of like what the Raptors tried to do with their democratic rim protection, you know, in the halcyon days of earlier Nick Nurse uh, tenure, et cetera. They, um, they're able to bring a lot of guys towards the rim, gap a lot of guys, and keep the rim frequency lower. And obviously, the Raptors had a ton of trouble with that. Um, they had to rely on shooting in this game to score because, as I said, a lot of their actions were getting locked above the break. And if you get locked above the break, basically what you're left with is shooting. You can slip some stuff and make some passes to the rim there. We see them succeed with like a little bit of delay action. You know, R.J. Barrett, I think, had the hungriest, you know, he, he was the one who wanted the rim the most in this game. He was 9 of 19, 22 points, 4 assists. Probably could have been like 7 or 8 assists for R.J. in this game, quite frankly. He had a lot of really impressive skips. Two in particular come to mind uh, that went to Grady Dick that didn't end up going anywhere. Uh, Grady, despite going over 3 from downtown, finishes with 6 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists. Both of the assists and lobs, the first one an open court lob, the second one comes off a curl, hesitation, dribble, puts the ball down, push shot, well, the push to the right side of the rim, and Chris Boucher caught it. 
really, really nice. I think the next couple, like two plays later, RJ Barrett like rumbled into the lane and threw a lob as well. Um, this Raptors team has really struggled offensively. I think the points per chance or points per possession for their half court tonight was 83. It's been really low in a lot of the games lately. And you you wonder what it looks like in these games if the Raptors manage to shoot better than 19% from three. You know, RJ goes 0 for 2, but we've been expecting the three-point shot to come down. Bruce goes 1 for 2. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Bruce, but 1 for 2, sure. Gary, 3 for 8. He's had a huge role in the offense since the change. Um, a lot more shots have been funneled his way. I think this is a lot more similar to the 2021-22 role that he had. He's obviously quite comfortable in it. Scotty one for five in this game, which means that he is still like 29, 28% since, I guess, the the OG trade from three. So that's something that's kind of something to monitor. Mora 0 for three. Boucher 0 for three. Grady 0 for three. Jalen McDaniels doesn't cash it. Neither does Garrett Temple. These guys just don't shoot the ball well. They don't put a ton of pressure on the rim consistently over the course of the game. And you just don't score well enough. Them's the breaks. Like they get to the line okay as far as frequency, but they shoot 59% at the line. We have a team here that uh, is not succeeding in very many spots on the floor. And defensively, had a really tough time because, you know, if Harden, who has really quickened a lot of his process as a catch and hold player, when Paul George or Kawhi Leonard break down the defense, or let's say you play a really aggressive coverage on James Harden, like the Raptors were doing a lot of like blitzing or switch to blitz. These guys did a really good job of locating one of Westbrook as a roamer from the perimeter to go attack the rim or Plumlee, who, you know, he finishes with 12 points, 12 boards, three assists, plus 19. He kind of like floated around in the middle part of the court and was always a target that they could hit. This is like 29 assists for these Clippers is really quite good. And also, it's not the best shooting game for Paul George, but Kawhi, you know, he only had 16 points, but the spread was just so great. Norm finished with 17. Westbrook had 20. Harden had 22, 13, and 10. Terrence Mann, does he score that often? No, not, not, not that much, but six points plus 20. Played good defense. Pomley 12 and 12. Kawhi 16, 7, and 3. Paul George 21, 2, and 1. The Raptors just got beat because of court coverage and they had to overextend themselves because they don't necessarily have a guy who can hold down the front court and they continue to miss Jakob Pertl. And the only thing that you're supposed to, you know, be able to glean offensively without Jakob Pertl being there is maybe you can get some stuff going on offense, being a little bit smaller, attacking space. But the Clippers are a team that they're spacing defensively they play decent fundamental basketball with a lot of talent on that end of the floor. And they're able to paper over some of their weaker players by being kind of funky about their matchups. And what we saw is like a really, really difficult night for Scotty as the leader. And, you know, I think like in the first half, I'm not sure if he, I think he had maybe like 11 points if, if I'm not correct, but finishing like 43% from the floor, four assists, 23 points. It's nice to get to 23, and I'm glad he figured it out late in game. But as far as like, you know, 
instead of like creeping the baseline as an isolation player, being able to work from the top to get downhill, to rotate the defense, to create like tons of playmaking opportunities. It's been, it was a disappointing performance against a very good team. And like, you know, if you go to the numbers, the Clippers aren't the cream of the crop defensively, but they've certainly been a lot better lately. They have figured out a lot of what they want to do, and they have been the best team in the NBA over the, the past 25 games. This was a really tough matchup, one that, you know, Jakob would have simplified a little bit. Past players who were on the Raptors would have simplified a little bit. And the Raptors, quite frankly, it seems like the patience that was, the term patience that was used by Masai and Darko and that I'm sure is being used in the locker room and when talking to players, it remains a major import. You got to be patient. You get a Thaddeus Young six for six game. He has 12, six and four, and that should be like found money. But it's just, it's just not enough in the front court. And the Raptors don't have enough strengths to draw from right now. And they probably won't over the course of the rest of the season. I guess we'll see. But in these games, you have to look for process mostly. And Scotty, I think, as the bellwether for what happens with the Raptors going forward, rightfully so, and a guy that I hope gets selected to an all-star team. And I think over guys like Jalen Brown, for example, Derek White, I think that he has a decent case. Now, Paolo Bancaro, you know, you can start and quibble and stuff like that. I guess we'll see what happens. But he, he has really played fantastic basketball to this point. And tonight, not great. And honestly, the way he played tonight, I don't think that there's a bunch of things that you take away from it as like, we saw some flashes of what Scotty's going to be going forward. You can't look at this game the way you look at the Bulls loss. That was like, oh man, it was like really fun down the stretch. It was really competitive. Scotty was like popping off. Um, not necessarily. So on top of that, you have not that much to glean from Scotty, but Scotty is the guy who, you know, kind of sets the tone for what things will be and optimism going forward. RJ, you know, I had um, somebody who tweeted at me because I had, uh, I'll, I'll read it. And I'm, I'm interested in this point of view, quite frankly, because um, here we go. So they said that because I had said RJ is a grinder, works for a spot, works for the next spot. Make sure those spots are close to the basket. I love the way that RJ, as much as like he definitely had problems in the first quarter, I think he got stripped on three layup attempts. They ended up going out of bounds. That's obviously, it counts as a missed shot, but it's also a turnover. Um, a turnover that gets counts as a missed shot, but it functions as a turnover, right? Most missed shots do. Um, but on top of that, like I think that his his hunger to get there is an important facet of the offense, right? And so, you know, I, I thought that, so here's the quote in the nicest way, Samson, but I wonder when the new guy compliments for RJ Barrett wear off and we can talk about his destructive game. And I think that RJ defensively is definitely he's un, he's underwhelmed for sure. And I think that it is important to know that he has succeeded in a really good defense. He has succeeded in an elite defense. So if the Raptors ever get there, I feel confident knowing that RJ can kind of step up and not tank everything. But he's losing a lot of his defensive matchups lately. But the Raptors are allowing 127 points. The Raptors' defense hasn't been good for a while. And I don't think RJ is solely at fault for that. And I think he does deserve props for his work on the offensive end when the Raptors' offensive process over the past handful of games has seemed quite hapless. 
And with Scotty taking a lot of shots outside of the paint, not getting downhill necessarily all the time, and same with Emmanuel quickly, it leaves one guy to like get the paint touches and to make the defense feel something on the inside. And RJ, I think, is a very important facet of that. And I think he does deserve credit for that. Now, the defense, no sugarcoating. He's lost a lot of his defensive matchups in most of the games he's played as a Raptor. He's fallen asleep on off-ball stuff. His you know footwork around screens has been sloppy. As far as like just sticking guys in isolation, it hasn't been strong. But you go down the roster, a lot of guys, even guys who have succeeded defensively in the past, that just hasn't been the case necessarily. Um, and... We, we have to see these guys develop their own games, and then we have to see them succeed, I think, in a team context. And right now, the team context isn't nearly as important as the individual stuff, as crazy as that sounds. Because I think when a team is playing at this level, it's really hard to just like expect like five guys on a string. It's really hard to expect anything but numbers. Like even Scotty has trouble like in a lot of defensive matchups lately too, right? Of course, it's fantastic when he can roam and get six blocks and the defensive playmaking is there. But there's tons of, tons of possessions where a bunch of good defenders are just losing them. And RJ is certainly not the level of Scotty defensively. They're not close. But um, I think guys deserve credit for, you know, trying to move the team in a good way offensively because this team was completely, we'll use the term now, feckless on offense. There was no punch. There was no anything. Like the the sets they're running have no, like they, there's no flow to them. There's not a lot of pace to them. They aren't able to get good shots regularly. And when I say get, they get stuck above the break, it means like above the break basketball, you're just passing and pitching the ball back and forth. Dribble handoff to nowhere, okay? Handoff, come off a screen, pick and roll. It gets flattened out. You're not getting anywhere. And then what? Like you pass the ball to the guy in the corner. He has to pump and try and attack against the set defense from there. It's just like they need guys to ram it down the hill. And RJ, the you know the compliment I was trying to give is like RJ is at least providing that for the offense. And some nights it's Scotty. Some nights Scotty can like sort that out, and Scotty is obviously the best player on the team. Some nights like tonight, Scotty didn't sort it out for the first forty-four minutes of the game, you know. So there has to be that pressure there because the Raptors aren't the best shooting team in the league, so they can't just like dip, duck, and dip, duck, and dodge around the the top of the the three-point line and just like cash triples. This isn't the Phoenix Suns hitting jump shots to death on you. Um, this is, these are the Raptors that have to be able to play with advantage, which is, you know, if everyone, if anyone wants to go back to 0.5 basketball, you have to work with advantage from some point to try and like multiply that advantage through quick decision-making. If everything's above the break, 0.5 doesn't matter because you're not getting anywhere. And the Raptors, they have to compete on both sides of the ball to make things happen. Because, you know, I see comments in the, you know, in the live chat, people are talking about talent deficiencies and that's true. Like the Raptors traded away a good portion of their talent, you know, guys who were a huge part of the team. And they also have their best front court player injured right now. We're waiting on a lot of stuff. I'm excited to see what this team looks like after the all, after the all-star break, after the trade deadline. And, you know, Darko 
explained how much time he wants to spend practicing, how many how many things he wants to instill in the guys, sets, defensive responsibilities, all this kind of stuff. That's really important. But more important than anything for these players singularly is the things they're able to show with their own game that Darko will be able to notice and build into the offense and the defense over time. Scotty, like in this game, we've had so much to talk about um, with Scotty over the course of this season. Just a million things he's added, a million things he's done super well. Tonight, there wasn't that much. And that's okay, you know? Um, it, progression isn't linear. He had a tough game. He's still in consideration for an all-star spot. I think players voted him 11th in the front court in the East, which I think is low. I think in the fan vote, he came 10th, which I think is low. But he'll be around. I don't know how much coaches have taken a shine to it, but he deserves a lot of credit for the season he's had. Tonight was not a strong game, though. Um, Thad, I thought, gave them good minutes, albeit losing minutes. Gary, I think, is gunning, and that's fine. But this game was really not good. Like. The best the best flashes I can think of is that RJ had a nice run. You know, they were ineffective runs, but he had a really nice run of pressuring the rim and providing the Raptors with a bit of punch offensively. Um, I think he missed his last two shots of the game. And then Grady, some of the in-between stuff. And I've talked about this a million times, that Grady's in-between stuff is really, really impressive. But it will only ever be something that keeps him in the NBA if he shoots the ball. His finishing, I liked coming out of the draft. You know, I watched, I watched the film. I thought, like, this guy can go with both hands. He can clearly put English on the ball, inside hand lay, outside hand lay. He can do it all. And on top of that, you know, he makes great reads with the ball in hand. He just has to get more comfortable with a live dribble so he can get deeper and start making a little bit more advantageous plays. And he's just got to hit shots, hit three-pointers. So... When he starts hitting three-pointers, all this other stuff, this is like the 19th time I've explained this this season. I know for those people who are annoyed, my apologies. But once he starts hitting shots, which I think he will eventually, that's my hope, that's everybody's hope, it means that everything he does off-ball becomes so much more dangerous. You know, being able to like live dribble Hezzy coming off of a curl, notice where the low man is, and pick the cut coming out of the bottom for that lob to Chris Boucher, that's high-level stuff. For example, like Gary's a better player than Grady, but Gary's not making that play. Gary's never made that play. Grady being able to do that is awesome. And what's going to put him in a better spot is if he hits jumpers, so guys chase the curl more often, and he gets more of those two-on-one situations where he can pick out the dunker spot cut where he can pick out the roller coming from the same side, right? So that kind of stuff is really important and will progress better. Nesta says it here, slim dick lob. That's right. That kind of stuff is really important. And Grady making a lot of those like in-between plays, giving you a little bit on the glass, like that's nice. Taking one on the chest. He, he called for a foul, actually, a defensive foul on the first, you know, when Rust slammed into him. I thought it was a charge. Then he took another charge later on. And then Harden also went like shoulder to chest on him, but less dip. It was like just like straight up shoulder to chest. So that one I didn't think was a charge, but Grady hit the deck three times and he hit it hard. And some balance stuff. If you want to take those, if you want to take those blows, you got to get lower. You know what I mean? Like you got to be able to do shock absorption. And Grady is just, he's caught up in the middle of, it. he's just trying to get quick. He's like, I'm just trying to keep up. And when you're trying to keep up, 
a lot of guys forget that you got to get you got to stay low. So when he's playing on the perimeter and he's like, you know, he's on the edge of a knife trying to step with guys, you start trying to like you start guys in the back of their mind. They don't even realize they do it, but you start like lifting. You start getting higher and higher because you're just trying to like corral guys. But really, you got to stay low. And when you get high, that push off or that bump, it can send you flailing. And Grady got slammed three times. I think two of them were charges, though. So credit to him in those cases for beating guys to spots. He got called only the one charge. But credit to Grady for the compete level. There's work to be done on foot speed that hopefully, you know, some flexibility stuff, some weight training, some conditioning stuff. And there's work to be done on, like, the the weight he carries as an NBA player. So I love the compete. And Grady has always been able to read the floor quite well. He has tremendous feel for the game, shapes to the ball really well on both sides of the court. It's just getting that body ready. YG7 says, what do you attribute to his three-point shooting percentage? I talked about this on a few podcasts this season, but I think that conditioning was a very large concern for Grady coming into the NBA. You know, maybe maybe that's not something people were concerned about long term, but it's a concern that teams who worked him out, including the Raptors, but other teams as well, were worried about because conditioning was something that came up during his pre-draft workouts. Um, conditioning was something I talked to Grady about at Summer League, where he talked about like adapting to the new floor, how big it is. There's a reason why people talk about Steph Curry and, you know, they talk about how great his cardio is, how great his conditioning is, because he's a shooter who weaponizes his shot with his movement. Grady is a guy who does the same thing. He's just not in the Steph Curry condition. So some shots he's just missing in a bit of a funk. But I think that um, fatigue has led to a lot more misses than he's been expecting. Bigger floor, Grady will make the cut. Even if he's tired at the end of the cut, he just has to make the cut. That's the type of player he is. He has to move off ball. He's not going to get lazy and stand, but he might be tired by the time he catches the ball. So conditioning, once that gets to a better spot, I expect to see a three-point rise because of that. And then also a guy working on a shot as he steps up to the NBA and the NBA level three and all that kind of stuff. Even though he shot 37%, I think on his NBA distance threes at Kansas, I just think it's it's a few different things leading to underperforming. But you see like his overall, like you see his floor game overall, you see a lot of good stuff happening. Just have to hit shots. And if you don't hit shots, you'll never be the player that you want to be. And you'll never be the player that the team wants you to be. And he knows that. Like, of course, he knows that he's a very confident kid. He like he he's got a great head on his shoulders and he knows all that stuff. Um I don't know how much pressure he feels from it because he is very confident and he's very like sure of himself, but I just hope he, it is a tough time for him. Obviously his greatest skill is one is the one that hasn't translated. And in this game, he's doing everything but that finishing at the rim, making progressive reads as a playmaker, making like really fantastic finishing passes to finishers as a playmaker. And Aubrey Lozojo says, let's be honest about Grady. He needs to dress better. He can learn a couple things from me, man. If he tunes into the game day fits, he might be able to steal a couple pieces from me. Um, something to keep in mind, Grady. Uh, Keir Doyle says, I'd be curious to see what Grady's shooting percentage is by time on floor slash how deep in the clock he takes a shot. Wonder if you track a fatigue versus shooting percentage thing. 
That's a really good question. I talk about this, but I haven't thought about trying to quantify it. I might poke around and and see if I can find anything like that. That's a really that's a really good question. Or not even a question, just uh just like a, a comment. Really great insight. Yeah. I'm I might go digging around on that. And Luke Philpot says you can tell the team has confidence that Dick will figure it out. I think so too. Um if you draft a shooter and they're doing everything but the jumper, you have to feel like you're scouting and you're like, okay, we hit on a lot of the stuff. We're just waiting on the big thing. And you need you you need the big thing, of course. And you got you have to believe in it. You just even if it ended up being right and somehow Grady never becomes a shooter, you can't after he's played what, like 30 games as a pro, maybe now, maybe less, like 26. You you can't you can't fold after 26 games. You gotta give the kid a chance. I mean Malachi Flynn, right? Like Malachi Flynn underwhelmed a lot from what people's expectations were. And, you know, heading into season three, before the season, they signed his contract for season four. Yeah, we're going to give him a look. He got a long look at the start of season four before getting traded. Well, before getting not that many looks towards the end of his Raptors tenure and eventually getting traded. But Grady's going to have a shot and he's going to have shots the rest of this season. And he got a shot tonight. And hopefully some of those shots go in. That's the expectation for me. Um, that's that's like my full Grady expectation plus breakdown. And that includes uh, some classic insights from prospects, scouts, um, team scouts across the NBA, a couple coaches informed the, that commentary. And then obviously just what I've watched. I hope he's I hope he ends up in a better spot with his jumper and if it does come around, I feel very good about Grady as a prospect. If the jumper doesn't come around, then it's tough. Then it's tough. And he knows that. Bruce Brown got his first start as a Raptor. He played 31 minutes. He had nine, nine and two. I got to be honest though. He wasn't that noticeable on the floor, which is like, I, everybody's waiting for the other shoe to drop with, with Bruce. I, like Bruce talked about how he'd be used with Tom Thibodeau. So, you know, <laughs> I think he's expecting not to be here. I don't, I don't know what the conversations the Raptors have had with Bruce. I don't know what they had, you know, as they set up the trade. I don't know what they had after the trade, but everybody and their mom seems to think like, you know, that that's not something that's going to be happening. Um, Shay, thy dollars says, quote, Scotty gets great mid-range looks, but they didn't fall tonight, tough, end quote. I, I think that's true. He does get some good looks. Um, but you for a guy like Scotty, it's really good that he's had a mid-range counter. And a credit to him for developing that for sure. But sometimes I think he's a little bit too um like he'll lean on it a little bit too much because as you as we see towards the end of the game, right, when he's able to get that isolation on the sideline and he can control where the help is coming from, the rim is very, very accessible to him, right? And he has to work, I think, with his dribble a little bit harder to try and mine possessions for better looks than the, you know, the stuff we're seeing with like mid-range jumpers. Because I think in the first like half, I think he really only put like two or three dribbles down total in the paint. And Scotty is the guy who defines this team going forward. He's been like all-star level this season, but that's just not enough from him to provide offense on a night like tonight. 
And that's okay. These are learning opportunities, but I don't think it should be, it's a credit to him for having the mid-range counter, but I think it is very important for it to be a counter. Like if you look at his shot chart, sometimes if the Raptors aren't able to get too much in transition or a lot of his shots don't come there, you'll see like half court shot chart. A lot of it will be outside of the paint. And he definitely can, I think over the course of a game, sometimes put the hard hat on and try and work his way downhill into the paint a little bit more often. But, you know, a credit to him for having a mid-range counter because a lot of people didn't think he'd have one at this point or being able to hit three-pointers, you know, above the break. Andrew Seto uh, donates $5. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you kindly. Quote, over under on Grady playing himself higher on the rotation than Gary before the year, end quote. Hmm. I'll tell you something. It rests completely on the jumper. If Grady gets, like, let's say the rest of the season, Grady doesn't hit 28 or 29% from three, but instead he hits like 36 or 37. I think that the Raptors can stomach that and say, you know, his defense will be worse than Gary's because of what, you know, he's underweight. He's, he doesn't have the balance and the explosiveness to contain a lot of the guys he guards, but they probably say like, if he, we can stomach his jumpers and other teams will end up paying for some of them, then we can definitely stomach the defense and being brought along. So, over under, I, I don't know how to frame it as over under. I'll give you a percentage. I'll say 30%. Like April 8th, Grady plays more minutes than Gary. And he does so on March 24th through April 8th. Yeah, sure. Let's go like 30%. I think that's that's something decent. Um, you're also say, by the way, love what you guys do at Raptors Republic. Keep doing your thing. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know if you're subscribed over there, but if you have five extra dollars, you can subscribe and get um, all the written work. Um, but I'm sure you already are. So thank you very much. Um, Nesta says, how do you feel about Scotty's dribble pull up long twos? Uh, I think I just did like kind of a, a thought on that. I think uh, that's how I feel about it. Mostly what I talked about. Um, feel free to reiterate the question if you felt like I didn't answer it when I was talking about the MIDI. OG3 says, how important do you think it is for Toronto to get a lob threat center, either off the bench or succeeding Yak? So I actually have a really great answer for this. I did a podcast today it's with Jack Quantrill. It's on my Twitter. I uh, promoted it. But we talked about this exact topic for like maybe seven or eight minutes. And it was, it was really good. I, I enjoyed that conversation. But a lob threat center, I don't think is a benefit necessarily to Emmanuel quickly. I don't think it's a benefit inherently to Scotty more than Jakob, for example, because Jakob is one of the best pick and roll rollers in the NBA. Like really, really he is. And Scotty, I think, has shown a really good ability to playmake with bounce passes in, you know, or playmake with like the high lob, high, high types of passes where he keeps high, he keeps the ball high and uses an entry pass to a big in motion or or from a static spot. And I think that Jakob is really good at playing to those strengths. And he's really good at creating space off the screen for that. And I haven't seen so much from Emmanuel or Scotty that makes me think that they're like these really high volume lob throwers and, and kind of what that is right is like 
for example, we talk about Scotty maybe not getting so many dribbles into the lane, not getting that many paint touches. Typically, lobs in the pick and roll, for example, are thrown from in the paint in kind of that that read option situation with that push shot downhill, the layup downhill, or the push to the lob. Think of like Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Think of like Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert. Um, think of the, the biggest one is James Harden and Clint, Clint Capella, obviously. Um, but I think that Scotty is a guy who, if you have Jakob, Scotty can just like get wide, not even touch the paint, and like throw a pocket pass. And Jakob can use his steps and his size to get down and finish in the pick and roll. Same with Emmanuel quickly. So I think Jakob is actually, I think it's a decent fit. Whether people want that or not, whether people are looking at Nicholas Claxton with hungry eyes, I know I am to some degree in the in the offseason, I'm not sure, in free agency. I don't hate Jakob's fit. I think like it, it can be it can work. Now, is that the ultimate outcome for this team? I'm not sure. But is Jakob like a a very strong center? to have there in the interim for as long as the interim is, whatever it looks like. Sure. Definitely. Andrew Seto says, honest question. How do you stay positive as a media member for the raps when they're doing poorly? Seems like a tough job when times are bad. I'll tell you this much. I'm watching basketball and I enjoy basketball. The only part that's been bad about the team being bad is that, and I don't mean this in like a poor me way. I mean this in a very matter of fact way is that I'm very accessible to the internet by proxy of my job and when the team is bad, people are really rude and people are very parasocial. And people say weird, insulting stuff about me all the time. And they do it over basketball opinions. And even sometimes people won't contend with what I say. They might hear it from someone else and that might not be true. And you get like talked about and all that kind of stuff. And it's odd. It's not something, especially for a job that doesn't pay well. And like, it's not an important job. It doesn't have to pay well. I'm just covering basketball, right? Um, but people are weird and mean and rude and parasocial and that kind of stuff. And they don't seem nearly as much that way when the team is good. Uh, like, I'll be honest, people care a lot less about, you know, divergent views on scouting or player X and player Y when, when the team wins, like that's, that's just how it is. So, uh, that's the stuff that's like, Hmm, how do you stay positive? But as far as, uh, as far as just like the game, I don't know. I like, I love watching basketball. I watch a lot of basketball. I enjoy it a bunch. Um, that's, that's what it is. You know, YG seven says Twitter is a dark place, man. It could be the live chat. It could be Twitter. It could be Raptors Republic. It could be all that kind of stuff. Um, it could be other people who have platforms who use it for that kind of stuff. So it's, there's, there's like all that kind of stuff, but you know, that's, uh, that's kind of how it shakes out. I do wonder, you know, sometimes, and I'll leave Samson stuff, but I wonder what it was like to be like, you know, work and write for a newspaper and like cover the game. And like you taught, you get more access to the players because, you know, there's not as much social media. So you get to write like more intimate stuff. And of course, like back then, you know, coverage of players was more like baked in like racism and rooted in like, you know, the structures of white supremacy and stuff like that. So my idea would hopefully be that I would be better at it back then, obviously, with more care for the players. But that accessibility is not really here. And you have to give yourself to so many people online, like make yourself accept. Like, 
I make like hardly any money doing this. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people consume my work. And I have to make myself accessible to these people because I have to like try and get people to read it. But if you wrote, if you wrote for a newspaper, you didn't have to do the marketing as well. You know what I mean? You could just like write. Like I just write the piece. And then people would be like, oh, I like that. But I wouldn't know. I'd just be like, oh, I got my, my kid and I write for the newspaper. Kind of, yeah. Nesta says Doug is still around. Ask him. I will actually. I've said this before. I said it on the Buckinson Tea podcast. But I was like, why is Doug on Twitter? You know, he clearly hates Twitter. And he gets, like, he'll say things that gets him in shit all the time. Uh, so, like, I'm like, why are you on Twitter, man? You know? Uh uh, maybe I'll talk to him about that next time I see him. But yeah, something to consider. Um, Matt Utley says, Grady can make the leap if he can make the right decision when the defender helps off of him. But what happens after that? Who knows? Yeah, this this stems kind of to what I was saying about like, instead of going one dribble deep, two dribbles deep. And early on the season, he was like, I'm going to go two dribbles deep and see what happens. And a lot of the time, like he got swallowed up and it led to um, was a lot of turnovers. Luke Philpot says, I remember sitting by myself and being excited about Amir Johnson hitting the summer three. I did three pieces this past summer. One was on where I did these retrospective scouts. And I did one on Terrence Ross. I did one on Amir Johnson. And I did one on Patrick Patterson. Kind of just going back and doing a deep dive into the game, noticing what was different about how the team structured, structured their offenses at that point. Like... Some of the spacing was incredibly weird relative to today. And I didn't really notice that kind of stuff being like a, you know, a teenager during that era of basketball. I didn't notice as much as far as like analysis. Um, but on top of that, like they were really unique players, all three of them who achieved and had very successful stints with the Raptors. And Amir, the summer three was really good, but he was just like, you know, he, he was such a wonderful decision maker with what he did off the ball. His screening was awesome. He always shaped to the ball as a roller. He made himself available when he had to, two guys who picked up their dribbles. He could hunt for offensive rebounds. He had like underrated touch at the rim. Amir was a very, very cool Raptor. And he, he provided like a ton of pop on defense too. Um, obviously he had injuries and kind of broke down over time and didn't have as graceful a finish to his, NBA career as he maybe wanted, but he was really well loved when he was in the G League um, for being like the ultimate vet. And that's just like Amir stuff. The the testimonials on the guy, everybody seems to think he was just great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nesta says very slow shot mechanics on that Amir three though. Yeah. Nobody was contesting it. Like nobody cared. So it could be, it could have been, he could have been loading that thing up for four seconds, you know? Um, Steven Liu or Laiu, I'm not sure, my apologies, says, Samson, how many wins will the Raptors have at the end of the season? I think I talked to Trey and S about this, and I think I said 31. I think 31. Because S seemed to be like, hey, are you, uh, you going to get, like, do they go over 30? And I think S and Trey both said no, but I think I'm going to say 31. Like, you know, Scotty had a hell of a December and if he's able to kind of like get it back up to that point, I think Scotty can have phases of his game where he is able to drag a team to some wins. You know, it depends on on the quality of opponent to some degree, but I think that there's going to be some wins on the table for the Raptors. They also have, I think, a, bot, a top five easiest schedule 
per strength of schedule stuff. Um, so I, I guess we'll see. Um, Aubrey Losojo says random player from the prep to pro era who would have been better today, Gerald Green. Yeah, I really wonder if Gerald Green, like let's say you put him on Sacramento or something like that, and he really drills it down how he wants to approach like a dribble handoff offense. That's oh voice crack. Wow. A dribble handoff offense. Um, and so getting him downhill, he might, because of how often he's getting downhill, he might be able to make like some more reads as a playmaker with reps. He was obviously a heat pump as a shooter. It, I think it would have been, he would have done pretty well, but yeah. Keir Doyle says Raptors show today debated on over under 10 wins rest of the season and said, yes, but barely. I'll tell you what the pull up trade podcast. This is a joke, by the way, nobody take this seriously. The pull up trade podcast discusses Pokemon comps. The next day, who's talking about Pokemon? Stephen A. Smith. Who's talking about Pokemon the next day? The Raptor show. Will Lou and Blake Murphy. Everyone, you got to stop biting our style, man, okay? As if Pokemon is like this underground niche thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, it's been not a super inspiring game, but I think the most fun aspect of that game was like some of Thad's short roll stuff. Um, getting on the offensive glass and like Grady did some in-between stuff, which to be quite frank with you, doesn't leave a fan with a ton. It doesn't leave everybody with a ton, but also we got like the Miami heat game immediately after the trade. And that was awesome. And you got the Chicago game where Scotty popped the hell off and I'm expecting more stuff like that in the future. This was a doldrums game though. And we, we might get a, you know, a couple, a few, doldrum games uh you know in the in the next little while i guess we'll see um yg7 says do you follow draft prospects so sometimes i do uh i will be following more of them kind of like ramping up now that the raptors have a lot more picks but what i've been lucky to be able to do is by proxy of being like an analyst that a lot of scouts like be it like freelance scouts or like professional NBA scouts or like professional prospect scouts, I can just kind of like look in the the black book and talk to some really intelligent people come around draft time. And that's mostly what I try to do. And I try to learn from them with like a, a curious mind. And um, so my draft coverage, you know, Brendan is the draft guy for Raptors Republic. I think he does great work. Um, my draft coverage is like a podcaster has typically been um, kind of trying to talk to as many of the most intelligent people I can. And it's been disappointing because so many of them got hired by NBA teams over the years that, you know, I'm getting less and less people to talk to. Nesta says, bring Josh on for a few pods when the season is tailing off, please. Yeah, um, Josh and I will do, we can do an early uh, look in at some prospects. He's going to be in Mexico with me for a little bit. Um, there's a couple hikes I'm going to take him on. He's a big hiking guy. So um, we'll do like a, a prospect pod from Mexico. I'll ask him to kind of um, dive in on some some guys he thinks the Raptors might be interested in. Um, maybe I'll put out a tweet about some guys and then everybody can ask. But yeah, Josh is the very best. I, I wonder how long until he's, you know, working for like the Celtics or something like that. Um, or wh whoever the hell else wants to hire like a fantastic scout. Um, so there will be scout stuff over the course of this. Um, Keir Doyle says, Samson, have you done any coaching slash player development stuff or just analysis? Curious how to go about pu pushing Scotty to impact the game earlier and more often or what you see there. So 
um, the bulk of my analysis is just based from the basketball that I played. And that's, I played a decent level of basketball and just trying to be kind of a sponge to people who are smarter than you, which is like a great advice for anything you do ever. I've learned like a ton about the game from coaches and scouts alike. And as far as like curious how to go about pushing Scotty to impact the game earlier and more often, I like, I, I agree that Scotty sometimes can like coast in the early game. He's like in data collection you know, trying to read the game for what opportunities lie there for him is is my read on that. And like you hear some stuff, the whispers, you know, not like because that's that's what it was for like last year when, you know, when there was the reporting around Scotty's work ethic, for example, and the reporting seemed like very speculative. But then Masai came out, you know, around the trade deadline and said, that he had a, had a conversation with him, that that was something they talked about. And I don't like stuff can get mixed up. There can be like telephone going on. I'm not super certain, but that, that kind of stuff is really nebulous. I think that Scotty works hard. I think that Scotty like evidenced by the jump he's made, you know, his, his trainer says like great things about him, you know, as a trainer would do, but um, getting him to do that, I don't know. I've never had like a conversation with like Darko or Jama or anything like that about like, how do you get a guy to, to like kind of walk in more often? You know, it's, uh, ah, I don't know that kind of stuff. Those are tough, tough questions, you know? Um, but as you said, like, yeah, I, you're not uh no cred check or anything like that. People can cred check, cred check away or anything, you know, that's, that's totally fine. Um, it's okay to want the people you listen to basketball about, you know, to like, have a, a background in it or something if if that's what people are looking for um shy thy dollar says what do you think about scotty's chances at making the 12 for team usa he seems to have great glue guy skills for a star-studded team i'd i feel like the chances are better that he doesn't than he does but i wouldn't rule it out you know it's just like Embiid is american now for that team you know and they just have like it seems like the guys who weren't there at FIBA in, you know, August slash September because they they have obviously seen them underperform. They're like, okay, time to get the gang back. Um, this doesn't seem like one of those teams that there's going to be a ton of room for guys to, like, make the leap onto. I think the old guard is going to represent a, a healthy amount of the roster, to be quite honest. But that's not an indictment on Scotty's steps or like who he is as a player. Um, I I assume at some point in his career, and maybe as soon as like not these Olympics, but the next Olympics, he'll be a defining player for the U.S. men's national team. But we'll see. Um, VCR says, how much development can be expected in season versus off season? Can we expect one of the youngsters to have a big jump in the second half of the year? Yeah, I think that rookies can come on really strong in the second half, certainly. I think that for skill development, to get your skills to the level that you can implement them at the NBA level, off-season is way more important as far as like implementing skills that you already have at NBA speed. I think those are closely more closely tied to the minutes you play. So 
for a guy who can do something at the NBA level, but just has to get used to the speed, has to get used to the reads, all that kind of stuff. I would expect it to be more rewarding to see minutes in season so that those things start to materialize. And then for Scotty, for example, who just needed to get his jump shot in a better place, it's obviously easier to like work on that and do a ton of reps in the off season and then bring it in. And um, yeah, that kind of stuff. Keir Doyle says how much control in quotes do organizations have over what players are working on in the summer? Um, like none at all. Players can do whatever they want. It's their off season. There's kind of like an interesting thing, right? Is that players during their off season are now expected to be like maniacs. Like it's a 12 month job. Go do it. Players could just like have the off season if they like. Um, and what the teams will do is like Masai and, you know, Darko, for example, would have sat down with Scotty or sent Scotty like notes, would have talked to him about what they're looking for him to work on. Like all that stuff would have been communicated to Scotty and it would be up to Scotty on how he wants to handle that. And Scotty would, you know, talk about that with his team, his trainer, and they would incorporate as much or as little as they liked. And so, that's like any any player can do that right so that's uh they do as they please and some players obviously like super appreciate the input from the team and i would assume it's more so players on the lower rung right um they they were on the lower rung so what the team wants is more influential to what you'll do in the summer um if you're on the higher rung Perhaps that won't be as as important to you. So, yeah. Coco asks, they also don't have support for the players, right? Like ones who don't have as much money might not be able to afford the same trainers, etc. Yeah, that's like a that's a really nebulous one. Um, because there will be some support. Like, for example, the Raptors that we saw when Darko got introduced, and like it was kind of a meme, right? Because you know, like four of the guys who were there didn't end up on the roster. And like, basically none of them are on the roster right now. I don't think anybody who was at Darko's presser is even on the roster anymore. Christian isn't. Jeff isn't. Precious, like I sat beside Precious, like at the presser. Um, nobody's there. So, hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just, but, but anyway, those guys were in Toronto because they're working with the Raptors and using the facilities and stuff like that. And when Jeff was in Vegas with the Raptors, Jeff wasn't technically signed, but he was also using the Raptors facilities and that kind of stuff. So there there's like a middle ground on a lot of this stuff, but um, yeah, that's, that's what I think. Um, YG seven says the guy at the other channel was interviewing Scotty's trainer and he said the Raptors gave them a list of things to work on, sent assistant coaches, etc. The only person I know who's interviewed, I think, is Pensair. So Pensair then? Um, yeah, that makes sense. That's that's also what um Nick and Nick had said that in the exit interviews. Darko had said that. Um I think on Media Day he had mentioned that. Masai had said something that like they're they're in communication. Um, sent assistant coaches had no idea. So cool. Nice to see. Um, nice nugget. Good get. Um, Matt Utley. And I think this will be the last question I answer. Matt Utley says, do you think that RJ will benefit from Jakob returning? Maybe RJ's rim finishing will fit more with Jakob following on the roll. Yeah. 
I think that there's like maybe a little bit of difficulty. It might hamper the spacing just a little bit, but also we've seen RJ able to make like turn like these snug get actions in the middle of the court into something through quick processing, being able to like pitch, sprint, pitch, sprint off of guys. And if he maintains, you know, that same level of commitment and energy to like pinging around the inside of the four, I think Jakob can be a really nice connective piece. And especially RJ, you know, it might be more on like these deliberative or deliberate ATOs and set actions, but when the Raptors can be really intentional about overloading some like weak side action to occupy taggers, there might be a lot of room for RJ to like run pick and rolls heading left where he can make, you know, passes with his left hand to a rolling Jakob. I think that there's room for them to mine some of that stuff for advantages. And I don't think, I don't think that Jakob will hurt RJ as far as the spacing too, too much. I think Darko's done a really, really good job. They haven't scored the ball well lately, obviously, but change in hierarchy, change in talent level, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's it's a team that has been able to put guys in more successful spots. And I think Jakob and RJ, while there might be like a tiny bit of friction, I expect it to mostly go well. That's that's my expectation. But yeah, that, that feels like a podcast, right? Um, I guess just as a quick reminder, everybody uh like the video while you're here it's free it helps promote the podcast in the algorithm i believe and it's all good um oh and add hashtag add everybody okay february 6th here we go february 6th rivoli downtown toronto last year we sold it out and here we go william lou blake murphy Imana Don, Lindsay Dunn, Trevon Heath, Isfandiar Berhaney, Andrew Damlin, Brandon Leftwich, myself and Lewis. Myself and Lewis host, but everyone else is panelists. I know there's people who really wanted Alex and Will to be there. We tried. Alex isn't in town. It's tough. Um, it would have been cool to get them back considering like the, the Raptors show. But Blake and Will will both be there. Uh, it'll be a really cool night of like talking hoops, not just as panelists, but also like reader, listener, you know, talker, writer, all that kind of stuff. If people like my work, Will's work, Blake's, everybody chats afterwards and everybody, you get to meet people who are like-minded and really like the team. So um, yeah, that's go to raptorsofhope.com. It should bring up a prompt. And I'll have a like a little video promoting it where I talk and try and be convincing or something in a more succinct fashion than I am during these these ads. But yeah, um, see you there February 6th, 7 p.m. It should be a ton of fun. There will be one panel that's like talking about, you know, more vibes based stuff and like trade slop. And, you know, it's right before the trade deadline. And there will be a panel that's talking more so about like implementing role, what happens on an NBA court or a G League court more of the inner workings and stuff like that. So that's how we'll structure it. That's what it is. Um, Claudia, just because I saw somebody liked Claudia's uh, comment, says, this is painful. This team has no direction, just a bunch of guys playing b-ball, no system. How is this development? Um, I don't... I think that it's worse now than it will be in a little bit, and it's worse now than it was recently. It's really 
it's really, really hard to take a team that was super, super reliant on Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. And I, I try not to talk about this because people get upset at you for talking about Pascal and OG and they're like, move on. But this kind of, you know, this requires this response, I suppose. Um, the hierarchy of everything changed. A lot of the things that they were able to do changed. And what I mean by Darko's system being a success, it hasn't been the last few games, that's for sure. But Darko had been running this offense at a really, really high clip and a clip that Nick Nurse never reached. The half-court stuff was significantly better under Darko with a bunch of the returning players and, quite frankly, a downgrade at point guard. The offense really turned around, and the Raptors' shot quality from everywhere on the floor is really, really high. There's some metrics that can measure that based on, you know, expected shot value, based on, like, just in general, like, how valuable is a layup, how valuable is a corner three, what percentage do the guys who take those shots take, how close is the closest defender. Darko's system has been able to create a lot of fantastic looks, and that's more so what I mean. I don't mean to say that tonight was good. I don't mean to say that tonight had a bunch of direction or anything. But overall, I think that Darko has been able to implement some things successfully. And my hope is that once this team kind of settles back down and doesn't have half the rotation in trade talks and probably expectations for two or three of those guys to be gone past the, after the deadline, I think that they can settle into something a little bit more meaningful is, is mostly what I mean. Nesta says, quick thoughts about Lucas 73 and also Cat and Booker both losing despite putting up 62. Uh, I talked about the Cat thing the night of because I got asked a question about it. So I'll leave that there. But Luca, I mean, is incredible. I, I really, I'm a huge fan of Luca's game. There's some things I don't like that much. There's some baity stuff that like maybe it's better if players don't bait. I, I like that Scotty doesn't bait. You know, Pascal baited more than Scotty did. Scotty is a little bit more no-nonsense, and he's a big, he's a physical specimen, right? So that kind of stuff. Um, Lucas 73, awesome. It's the most anybody scored since Kobe, I'm pretty sure. Cat um, and Booker, both incredibly talented scorers. Um, just guys scoring the hell out of the ball. John Lamb says something here. As Darko grows, the players grow. I think that's true. I think Darko's had successes that I find, and, you know, I'm not the be-all, end-all as an analyst, certainly, but, you know, I try and pay attention to the structure of the offense, what the Raptors try and do, possession to possession, what type of looks they get, and I come away from it looking at Darko as, I think, a guy who has the top-down view done very well, and then kind of talking to players and talking to Darko and other coaches, a guy who's gained a lot of respect for helping players succeed, and, you know... There's been parts of the season where that's maybe a little bit difficult. There's been parts of the season where he's been maybe a little bit rigid on his lineups, substitutions, and stuff like that. But the stakes are not high for this Raptors team. You know, it's more important for Darko to be able to set something up that has success going forward and to be able to put players in positions to succeed as themselves, as players who get to succeed, than... Um, than it is that like the Raptors win 34 games instead of 31 or something like that. Right. So we'll see what happens, but I'm, I'm on the, I'm on pro Darko. I have been all season, quite frankly. And, you know, after talking to him, you know, preseason, all that kind of stuff, I, th I thought that he would do quite well. And the Raptors haven't done well from like a team situation, but 
if we're being honest, that's not necessarily what Darko was hired for. And when you look at what the testimonials are about Darko, and I just wrote this big piece on it the other day, um, he's a guy who's been like absolutely imperative to some developments, guys like Devin Booker or Desmond Bain or Jaron Jackson Jr., stars in the NBA, right? So, yeah. Um, YG7, is the defense on him or on the roster? I think that... Um, I think that the defense was really good early on. It was. And he was coaching a really strong defense early on. There are other things that have been going on with the Raptors organization that exist outside of the coaching framework that negatively affected performance in my mind. So, and and like, or effort, let's say maybe. It's tough. The... The defense, his principles are sound. His defense, are, his defensive principles as spoken are the same as many elite defenses have. And you can't coach a guy to just guard better. You can put a guy in a more friendly circumstance. You can put a guy in a more friendly context. But it's just you can't guarantee that guys are going to stick their man. You know what I mean? You can't, if a guy is not going to be able to get around a screen, then you can't really play drop defense, right? Even if you really like drop defense, if the guy at the point of attack is not going to play good lock and trail, you're going to be giving up a two-on-one in the middle of the floor repeatedly. So how do you compensate for that? If you're giving up the two-on-one because you don't have the juice at the point of attack, you have to pull from either the strong side or the weak side. Most guys who run pick and roll can play make to the strong side or the weak side. You don't want to give up the corner three. Okay, you X out on whichever side and you make them pass it above the break. But this gives them a top-down drive into the middle of the paint as the rest of the team, the offense, reorganizes and shapes the ball as shooters and cutters. And now, all of these moving parts, your defense has to pick up five guys in motion as you try to recover to a guy with a straight-line drive. You don't want to give that up. Okay. You start switching. Can your guys hang in a switch? Can they hang in a hedge and recover? Where are you pulling guys from? Maybe there's been some stuff left on the bone for Darko to try defensively, I guess. But I think that this Raptors team underperformed its defensive talent. OG just his last, I don't know, eight, nine, ten games as a Raptor. He was not locked in defensively. Neither was Pascal. These guys were not there. And now, like Bruce Brown isn't saving them. Neither is Jordan Wara, Keir Lewis, or the draft picks. We talked about RJ early on. He's not changing the defense. Emmanuel has struggled at the point of attack. They traded out better defenders than they got. And they also traded out, and they're just sitting with draft picks. Also, Precious Achua, he's no longer there. And Jakob Berto's been injured. The things that were moving in a positive direction have been undermined because of external things that I have trouble blaming Darko for. Now, you know, my my opinion doesn't have to be everybody else's opinion. Certainly not. Like Claudia says, you know, hashtag fire Darko and great assistant coach, terrible head coach. That's like, that's the point of view. That's perfectly fine. You know, that's 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 no problem at all. We We have differing views on that and that's okay. You know, there's a different way to view these things, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I come away from it thinking that 
I feel quite good about Darko as the coach of the future. And that's, you know, that's, that's just my two cents. That's just my perspective, which doesn't have to be shared by everybody. Um, yeah. Podcast to everybody who commented. Thank you very much for engaging. This one wasn't at 1am. Thank goodness. It wasn't like a super late night stream. I appreciate not being that. Make sure to like the video before you get out of here. Thank you for being kind, insightful, engaging to the people listening on the podcast apps. Thank you for tuning in. And whether you listen to this before you sleep, as you sleep on your walk in the morning, whatever the hell, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.